Welcome to the Believing Theologist Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Smith, here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, sound doctrine in Lansing, in Michigan, and the farthest reaches of the year. How's it going, everybody? Um, well, I'm actually, my microphone went sideways. Hold on. There we go. I'm actually recording more than one episode, less than two weeks apart. I'm excited about this. Um, hopefully you are too. Uh, today I'm planning. I want to go over more again, uh, more of the catechism, uh, the Young Baptist Catechism, Beginner's Guide to the Baptist Confession, of Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689. I want to continue to go over that some more. Just because I think it's so important in learning sound doctrine and what that means and what that's supposed to look like, according to uh, scripture and whatnot. Uh, but that first brings me to my first. I'll, uh, something I want to cover. I want to talk about first. That is a a practice referred to as exegesis. And I'm gonna say that again. Ex. Jesus, E-X-E-G-S-E-S, exegesis. Now, what, what, that, what that means is when you, uh, it's a rule to apply when you're reading through the scriptures, or, or really any, most any text that you come across, but I think more importantly, the scriptures themselves. And what this is, you take and read, when you read through a passage of scripture, you interpret it and what's and you interpret it out of what's there to draw out what's there. Now, if there's some things or background background or cross references you got to make, that's what you got to do. Excuse me. And uh, but what happens? A lot, a lot of people when they approach the text, they don't read the text for what it is. They read into the text, that known as eisegesis. They read into the text what they want to be there. Or another way to put it, they come to the text with an application and try to make that application fit into the text. And when you do that, you start start confusing category, biblical categories and so on. So, um... Just food for thought, exegesis, reading the scriptures and reading out what the scriptures say. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, let me know. All right. Now we're going to continue on the catechism. Uh, probably uh, we, th- I believe we did. I forgot exactly where we left off. So. What is God? God is spirit, infinite, unchanging, powerful, perfect in his being, displaying compassion, loving, and loving kindness. So I'm going to start at question eight here. Question eight. And question eight, is there more than one God? The Lord is the only God, the true and living one. Now, uh, I want to comment, this is important because, like I said before, I think it was the last episode. Might have been the episode before. If we get God, if we get the scripture wrong, we get God wrong. If we get God wrong, we got the gospel wrong. If we got the gospel wrong, we're dead. We are dead in our sins anyway, and all, all is in vain. Okay, okay. Uh, is there more than one God? Answer: 
the Lord is the only God, the true and living one. Uh, scripture reference, Deuteronomy 4, 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, he is God, and there's no other beside him. Jeremiah 10, 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and everlasting king. His wrath and, and the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. I'm going to read that again. The Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. There's only one God, one ruler of all. Question number nine. How many persons are there in the Godhead? Now, before we continue, this is a very, what we're about to discuss is a very, very important doctrine. Uh, what's known in, in theological shorthand as the Trinity, which is God exists as a single being, as three distinct persons, all co-equal, distinct persons, sharing in a single essence. One being, three persons. Just mull that around. It takes a while to get it. All right, question. How many persons are there in the Godhead? Answer. There are three persons in the Godhead. Equal in power and glory. Uh, scriptures. For there are three that testify. First John 5, 7. Yet for, the, yet for us, there is but one God. The Father, from whom all things were, all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things and we exist through Him. First Corinthians eight six. I and the Father are one. That's Christ speaking in John ten verse thirty. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After a soul that was not under was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Acts five verses three and four. Now this is a uh, this particular passage is a much. There's a lot going on there. Uh, a little backstory: Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Uh, there is some. The scripture is not really clear, but there is some sort of giving agreement that was that was going on and they and they and they agreed for the record no we'll give this no we're going to sell a property for this amount and we're going to sell and we're going to give x amount to the church okay no big deal but what happened they actually ended up they sold it for the part they sold it lied about the final selling price Gave less to the church and pocketed the rest. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Was there anything inherently sinful about doing that? No, there wasn't. But because they were not straightforward in what they were doing, but they lied and were deceitful about it, that is why God had issue with it. That is why Peter accused them of lying to God. But in this passage, if you notice, grammatically, he says, and he asks, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of, the, some of the land? And as he goes on, no, finally, he says, you have not lied to men, but to God. 
So if the Holy Spirit is not God, what's the matter if he's lied to the Holy Spirit? So because God, because Peter referred to, no, refer, you have not lied to men but to God, after, after referencing the Holy Spirit earlier, well, the Holy Spirit is divine and is God. Okay. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Again, another passage showing the, divini- the full divinity of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important. Jesus Christ himself, several times throughout the scriptures, had claimed to be God. Some some passages are a little bit harder to discern than others. Um, but he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the I Am. He told the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that's just not just a present tense I, necessarily a present tense I am, but the name of God, the name that God gave to Moses. When Moses asked, who are you? Excuse me. When Moses asked, who are you? Who should I set you? And God's response was, I am that I am. The God of your father, God of your forefathers of Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. And I got that order a little mixed up, but you, uh, hopefully you follow what I'm saying. Okay. Question. Who are the three persons in the Godhead? Answer. The three persons in the Godhead are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Scripture. For there are three that testify again. First John 5, 7. Now, uh, uh, some some scholars and, and uh, theologians will go back and forth regarding this particular passage in First John, uh, whereas the Trinita- Trinitarian formula technically is not there. It is a still good, in fact, here, let's do this. I got to pull up my little Bible thingy here. Hopefully it works. Bible thingy, open. Bible thingy. Here it comes. Being slow. This is f- what happens when you have a computer and you're... Hey, there it is. What do you know? That was First John 5. Go. Hey, there we go. Let's do this. Don't need that. Make this slightly smaller. There we go. All right. Now we're going to get. Here we go. First John 5. Let's go to 5, verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these things agree. For we see the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this testimony of God that he, is, he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has, be, that God has borne concerning his Son, 
And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. Gave us eternal life and this life in his son. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Now, in this particular passage, there's not necessarily, a f- in verse 7 itself, there's not necessarily a Trinitarian formula showing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that first verse. But the entire passage, uh, this entire bit as a whole, shows that in, in salvation and how, and, how th- and how the things worked when, Christ was, when God sent Christ to the earth, shows that all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were in perfect harmony with one another in making this decision. Okay, again, that's, uh, that's from 1 John chapter 5. Uh, continue reading in your own on your own. Um, if you want to talk, let's talk about it. All right, back to the questions. Three persons of Godhead are Father, God, and Holy Father, Son, yeah. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Go therefore, make disciples in all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew twenty eight nineteen. Now you see in Acts, no baptizing in the name of Jesus is kind of shorthand for all that because Jesus is God representative of the Godhead. But you cannot baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit if not all three of them are God. Three and one. One being, one essence, three distinct persons. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. Now this is one thing that I think is another point I want to make. A lot of people... Uh, charismatic movement in particular, and some of the neo uh, neo Calvinists and whatnot will kind of fall into this category too. But the Holy Spirit is almost treated as like some force or something that you can manipulate with your faith. Uh, for example, in my area recently, there is a uh, a local mega church um, that, that a huge citywide ecumenical prayer meeting. And I was I watched part of the live stream, and when the prayer started, at first they sound everything seemed to s- start. Okay, God, would you please do this? Would you please do that? Watch these people over here. Protect these people. God, put your healing, it, which is which is all well and good. Yes, a- yes, and amen. But then they start decreeing and declaring. I declare this, and I decree that, and this, that, and the other thing. As if. They control the Holy Spirit as if they are as if they command God. That's not how any of this works. Excuse me again. Got the coughs again. I apologize. All right. Question eleven. Now this next part is really good stuff. What does God the Father do in salvation? God the Father chooses his people. Now, there's a lot here. What does God the Father do in salvation? He chooses his people. He chooses his people. Wait a minute. I thought I thought I chose God. What does God do in salvation? He chooses his people. And we're going to start uh, John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Come down up, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on that last day. I'm going to read that through that again, because now forgive my, uh, for any of you listening on audio, uh, forgive my uh, pauses there, I got the coughs again. I'm going to read this passage again. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all he has given me, I lose nothing. That of all he has given me, I lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on that last day. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. All that the Father gives Christ will go, will go to Christ. Interesting. Let's keep going. And he, John, from John chapter 6, verses 65, this is several verses later in the same passage. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted by him, granted him from the Father. Let's continue. Romans 8, 29-30. Um, this is often known as the golden chain of redemption. This is actually a beautiful, beautiful passage. And if you are a believer, you should take great comfort in this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, in English, it, these seem pa- are, are written in what press, past tense. Uh, I forgot what the literary... Tense. It's not past tense. It's more like an active tense, so to speak. Uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And those, these whom he justified, he also glorified. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Now, when you talk about when we talk about God's foreknowledge, this is a lot of, a huge hang-up for a lot of people because we don't realize the depth of our own sin, our own sin nature, and the fact that we sin, have sinned against God. But for those He foreknew, He also predestined. As all says, He foreknew. There's no reason given. No reason why he predestined those he foreknew, is that he foreknew them. 
Okay, I'm going to continue. Next passage from Romans 9, verses 14 through 23. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he has on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Let that sink in. You will say to me, but you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, to who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Some passages, some translations will say dishonorable use. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And did he so to make the known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory? I'm going to read this last couple of sentences again. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. I'm going to read the next passage. Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 6. Blessed be the God of God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind of intention of his will, to the praise of his glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Before him in love, he predestined us to, ado to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, I want to take a quick second and talk about this for a minute. If you've never actually sat and thought about this before, it takes some getting used. It takes a long time to come to grips with it. What does God the Father do in salvation? Short answer, he elects his people. You see, God has always had a chosen people. Always, from the foundation of the earth, he knew who those people would be. 
But how did he know? Because he's God. He knows these things. I don't. God the Father elects. Not based on anything that we have done that we have done or not done, but based on his glory and his kindness and his goodness and his love. But wait, you say. No, that doesn't make any sense. Why would he why would he choose me and not somebody else? That I can't say. But I'm a good person. No, you you mean you, oh, you mean God looked down the quarter of time and he saw I would come to faith. No. That's not how that works. From the foundation of the earth, he knew. Since before the foundation was laid, he knew. He had predestined. He had made his plan. And this is really difficult for a lot of people to understand. And a lot of understand again. I'm still I still wrestle with it sometimes. But at the same time I also find great comfort in it. Because we, because all men, when I say men, I mean mankind, men, women, all of them. There's only two genders, by the way. <laughs> anyway, mankind was born in Adam in sin. Death came. Death came to the earth through one man's sin. And death to all men because all men sinned. There's nothing I can do on my own without the call of God that I can do to gain righteousness, perfection, and so on. It's all by God's choice, God's choosing. And why may you say? Why why is why is it why did God choose? Why can't I choose? Because you can't. Your sin has so you were so corrupted by sin. That unless God the Father moves on your heart, you will not choose him. You will be you will be hardened. Now we'll get in this further on, but a lot of people hear this and say, oh, so that means it doesn't really matter. No, it does matter. Because as we see in the passage from Romans 9, no, quoting uh, uh, one of the Old Testament books, the author of Romans 9, Paul, says, he will have mercy in whom he has mercy. Excuse me again. More coffee, coffee. He, uh, has mercy in whom he desires and hardens whom he desires. But yet, God still holds man responsible for his own sin. Responsible for his own sin. Question 12. What does Jesus do in salvation? Jesus redeems his people. Galatians 2, verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Jesus Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified in faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. 
I'm going to read that again because I was trying to do two things at once. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified in faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Matthew one twenty one. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. Jesus redeems his people. God gives them to Jesus and he redeems them. Now we can follow the God's law. We can try to follow God's law, but we can't. Not on our own. And the reason in Galatians why I why Paul makes a huge point of this, because in the book of Galatians, what we find out what, what happened is Paul start opens his letter, things are all good, hunky dory, and he says then he says back, Okay, you guys are a bunch of crazy people. What are you doing? You have forsaken the message that we first preached to you. Which is salvation by faith in in Christ by grace. By grace through faith in Christ alone. But there are, uh, there's, a, there's a group of people called the Judaizers. It's kind of shorthand for what they were. And what they thought and what they did, they sought to add to the gospel. Uh, more or less saying, well, no, they're not saved unless they get circumcised. No, that's not how that works. That's not how that works at all. The circumcision was a ceremonial thing in the Old Testament, pointing to as a symbol of God's covenant with Abraham. And it's, and it's something that was carried on throughout the, the entire Old Testament, this practice. Symbolizing God's covenant. Now, this act, when Abraham first did it, to circumcise himself, and then his firstborn, and then his son, and all the men in his camp, when he did this, he did not do this. This was not because so he would gain salvation and favor with God. No, he had already been given salvation by God. Why? Because Abraham believed. Because Abraham believed, he obeyed God's command to circumcise. Now, if you fast forward in the Old Testament, we uh, come. There's a passage in Deuteronomy where things get out of hand, so people start becoming more self righteous. You know, I've been this and I've been that, and this is how things are, and it's awesome and glorious. Glorifying, et cetera, et cetera. God makes reference to circumcision of the heart. He makes reference to all the sacrifices that were being made, and he's gotten tired of them because the people's hearts were far from him. Because the people started to depend on their own doings instead of believing God. Instead of Doing God. Now, did God command all those sacrifices? Yes, absolutely he did, and he, and he expected obedience to those things. 
but because the people's hearts were far from them, those sacrifices didn't mean a thing. Now in Christ, there is no way we can't, and because of sin, we cannot gain righteousness. We cannot earn favor with God. It can only be given to us, plain and simple. It can only be given to us. And in the book of Galatians, these guys were trying to add works to the gospel. No, you're saved. Yes, Jesus. No, you repent and believe in, repent and believe in Christ and get circumcised. No. Well, you, Paul says no. That's not a thing. Faith in Christ alone. Plain and simple. Now, I'm going to, let's go to Galatians 1 real quick. There we go. Galatians 1, if we come down here, grace to you, and that, and Galatians starting in 1, verse 3, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the gospel is in this. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the gospel who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Excuse me again. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this evil age according to the will of God, our God, our Father. We are made right through faith by grace through faith in Christ alone. But Paul continues, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the great in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not there is another one. For there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to one you receive, let him be accursed. Let, let, let me put that in layman's terms. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, contrary to what is in the scriptures, contrary to justification by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, God Damn him. If you are preaching another gospel, if you do not repent, you will be damned. Plain and simple. That's very, very straightforward. That's bad news. But the good news is, if you find yourself preaching a different gospel, and you realize that, stop. Repent. And preach the correct gospel. Now we skip down Galatians 1.11. For I would know to you, brothers, that the gospel is preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but received through revelation Jesus Christ. For you heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 
I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to some, you know, uh, Paul kind of describing, describing his thing now and who his story. But the point is, there's only one gospel. And in salvation, God elects and Jesus redeems. Now leads us to our next question. What does the Holy Spirit do in salvation? That's a very good question. Answer. The Holy Spirit quickens God's chosen people. Scripture, Titus 3, 5 through 6. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus, through Jesus Christ our Savior. I read that again. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit will quicken. God elects. Jesus, rede- Jesus Christ redeems. The Holy Spirit quickens the heart. Upon the preaching of the gospel, upon preaching of God's word. Because that's the vehicle in which God chooses to do it. You see Romans chapter 10. That faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. So we're going to pause there. And if you're listening, you do not know Jesus Christ, or you don't know. First, no, as we already, as we already, as I, we already talked about, you are a sinner. You have violated God's law. Outside of Christ, there's no hope for you. But God is good, and He sent His Son to die that we may have eternal life. If you believe that, repent of your sins. Put your faith and your entire trust and your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of those sins. And you will be saved. If any of you listening have any questions or comments, look at Believing Theologist on Podbean, Facebook, YouTube, or Google Play. And at Believing Theolo on Twitter. That's B-E-L-I-V-I-N-G-T-H-E-O-L-O on Twitter. I look forward to hearing from you, and I hope you'll stick around for a few episodes or more. This has been an episode of Believing Theologist, proclaiming the gospel and sound doctrine to the furthest reaches of the great state of Michigan. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.